After White House spokeswoman Sarah Sanders was refused service at the Red Hen restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, because of her political beliefs, restaurant workers at the Red Hen are being offered sensitivity training on how to deal with conservatives. Red Hen servers and management will take classes to learn to recognize their implicit biases against conservatives and to note when they might be committing subtle microaggressions against conservatives, like putting on ski masks and attacking them with sticks to stop them from expressing their opinions or ganging up on them in angry mobs and chasing them out of public venues while spitting on them and hurling four-letter words. Without this sensitivity training, such subtle micro-behaviors might go unnoticed because a bigoted American society has taught leftists that only their opinions are virtuous and therefore anyone who disagrees with them must be evil. Whereas, in fact, if you can't discuss your ideas without using four-letter words or resorting to cruelty, bullying, and violence, you may actually be the bad guy. At sensitivity training, Red Hen workers will be introduced to such concepts as toxic leftism, unearned self-righteousness, and anti-American dirtbaggery, as well as anti-American dirtbaggery resulting in the unearned self-righteousness of toxic leftism, also known as just being an all-around D-bag who can't get a lady a sandwich without working your great big stupid mouth. During sensitivity training, Red Hen employees will also watch video examples of inherent bias, such as newscasts on NBC and CNN. They'll also revisit historical injustices against conservatives, like the publication of the New York Times. We here at The Andrew Clavin Show hope that this training will teach employees and management at the Red Hen how to treat their fellow Americans with respect, after which we hope no one goes to their stinking, hate-filled restaurant ever again. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo, also singing hunky dunky ship shaped ipsy topsy the world is a bitty zing it's a wonderful day hurrah hooray it makes me want to sing oh hurrah hooray oh hooray hurrah all right we are back after a particularly disturbing clavenless weekend we, uh, we tried to get the great Michael Knowles to be with us, but we could only get the so-so Michael Knowles who works here. And uh, he'll be here to discuss. And Rob is shaking his head. Why, why, do I, why do I mistreat the lad? So uh, he'll be here to discuss an amazing story uh, out of Harvard. Also, on Monday, July 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, we will be joined by special guest Jordan Peterson to celebrate Independence Day. Sure, bring in the Canadian to celebrate. That makes sense. God King Jeremy Boring will host a new edition of Daily Wire backstage with me, Ben, and Michael to look at back on our country's birth and look ahead to its future. Subscribers will even be able to write in live questions for us to answer on the air. That's Monday, July 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific with special guest Jordan Peterson. You can find our special live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Don't miss it. And the other thing you want to know about is Skillshare, because Skillshare, I like Skillshare. Skillshare, you go on, it's basically an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes. It's got classes in business, design, technology. I looked at the ones for writers. I was just looking at some more on how to record music, how to uh, make great content online. Really good stuff, really intelligent. Experts come on, give a series of video classes. You you pay for the service, but then you don't have to pay every time. There's none of this like stopping in mid 
lesson to have to pay more to keep it going. And whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set or start a sideline or just explore a new passion, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. And that is a really good deal because there is a lot of content on this thing. Skillshare is offering my listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Andrew. That's Skillshare.com slash Andrew. Start your two months for 99 cents now at Skillshare.com slash Andrew. You know, the whole thing that I've been trying, at this point, I really do feel like this. you tune in this show and you get tomorrow's news. I mean, we are now so far ahead of what's happening. And the reason is we're not following the narrative. We're following the narrative. We're not following what the press is telling us the narrative is. We are following what the narrative actually is. And that's why we're ahead of the game almost every day at this point. You know, the, the press is telling us basically the country's in crisis. The c- people are torn apart. Uh, the country is divided. We hate each other. None of that is true. The act, they keep saying these are troubled times. These are not troubled times. These are good times during which the left is angry. That's all is, that's happening. This has happened. I've seen this at least twice in my life, two big times. One, Ronald Reagan came in. There were lines at the gas stations. We had inflation. We had unemployment. Everything was just really awful under the Jimmy Carter administration. Ronald Reagan came in, and it was day after day of we're going to war with Russia. The guy is a madman. He's an idiot. He's a blithering. He's a movie. He's a movie star. What does he know about the government? We thought, oh my gosh, it's terrible, it's a crisis. It wasn't a crisis, it was good times. It was the ship of state being turned around in the right direction, which is what the left hates, because they hate this country, they hate the West, they want their system to work, which will give them more power over ordinary folks like us. They they do not want this to happen. The second time I saw it was Rudy Giuliani came into a New York that had really hit rock bottom. I mean, New York, you could not go out for a pack of gum without taking your life in your hands. I was there. The city was a cesspool. Giuliani came in every single day in the New York Times. He was a Nazi. He was a bigot. There was this one story where uh, police uh, misused a black suspect and they, they had this story. Oh, yeah. They, as they were doing, as they were beating him up, they said to him, it's Giuliani time. Complete lie. That didn't happen. They didn't say that. I mean, they did. They did abuse this guy, but they didn't say that. Giuliani was on it in a split second. He came down on the cops like that. That he turned that city from one of the worst cities on earth to one of the best. And it was him. It was him and his police guys that he brought in, the police commissioners. And every single day, it was just like it is now. The crises, he's horrible. He said this and has obviously meant that. And he hates black people. The whole thing, it's all happening again. And why? So what's happening this time is because like Giuliani and like Reagan, Trump will not stand down. He won't run away. He won't tell them that his conservatism is compassionate. He won't say he's going to be kinder and gentler. He just tells them what he's going to do, and he does it, and he stood up to them. They brought, last week, they slung everything they had. They brought the full Katrina playbook. It's Donald Trump's fault that the border doesn't work. I mean, it's so obvious that this was going on during the Reagan administration. They threw everything at him, and not only, and oh, and then, and then when he said, okay, you want an executive order saying we'll put the together, as long as we can keep protecting the border, fine. He signs the executive order. (laughs) That executive order, I do not think it's going to stand, but it just threw them for a loop because now they're stuck with a situation that only the legislature can solve. It's a law. It's a problem of bad law. And 
Trump is on the offensive. He's going after them. He's saying that Obama did this. He says Obama put him in cages and wrapped him in foil. That was one of his things. And he's just and and he brought out what they call the angel parents. I personally hate this thing where they give everybody a, a an emotional name. It's the angel parents. You know, it's the dreamers. It's I I hate it, but it's I guess you got to play the game at this point. And he brings in the parents of of children who have been killed by illegal immigrant criminals. None of our kids had a minute to say goodbye. We weren't lucky enough to be separated for five days or 10 days. We're separated permanently. Our separation, like everybody has said, is permanent. Sarah never gets to go on to be a wife, a mother. I brought my son. This is what I have left, his ashes. I wear his ashes in a locket. This is how I get to hug my son. So so Trump is fighting back on their terms. I mean, that's what, you know, this is one of the things I, I feel so many of my fellow conservatives do not get this, especially the kind of never Trump guys. They do not get that the battle is not between Republicans and Democrats. The battle is between Americanism and the press. The battle is between those who believe in the Constitution, limited government, freedom for the individual and, and uh you know, powers at odds with one another, the states at odds with the uh, feds, the Senate at odds with the Cong- with the uh, House, the legislature at odds with the executive. That's what we want. We want them fighting with each other so we can be free. It is against people who believe in that versus the press, versus the socialist press. The press, the Democrats are run by the press. It's not the press. It's not the Democrats running the press. It's the other way around. And they don't understand that that's the fight. And that is what Trump is doing so incredibly well. So a CBS News poll comes out and it shows that most people agree with Trump, build a wall. It shows that most people want uh, the illegals uh, deported. It said like 48 percent. But when you added all the numbers together, it was really a majority said some somehow or other they've got to be sent back. You know, it's not that people are unkind like me. I don't want to see the parents torn away from their children. I just want the border secure. That's all I want. I want us to decide who comes in. I want the legislature to get off their patoots and argue with each other and compromise with each other and make a better law and make a better, a sensible way that we can defend our borders. And all the left wants is they want these these new voters coming in and all the people to Wall Street Journal want, and I love that paper, but they are just wrong about this, is they want people to water their damn lawns. And that is what they're bringing in because they don't have to uh, get minimum wage. They aren't protected like our workers. But it's ridiculous. It's not restrictionist to expect the law to make sense and the law to be enforced. That is not restrictionist. That's what the Wall Street Journal keeps calling. So they lost. They brought it all. They brought the whole artillery. They brought everything they got. And Trump stood up to them. And now they are furious. So what do they do? They move to Plan B, which is bullying, mobster, mobsterism, and violence. And we will take a look at this in just a minute. But first, let's talk about something happy to get us <laughs> in the mood. Let's talk about bull and branch sheets. And you know, as you know, there is no there is no ease in Clavin, but there's also no sleeping in Clavin. <laughs> and I lie awake all night. I was awake all night last night. Well, with bull and branch sheets, at least you feel incredible. And these sheets look amazing. And since bull and branch sells exclusively online, you don't pay that expensive retail markup. So you get it's half the price and you get twice the quality. You'll love these sheets. Try them for 30 nights and see for yourself. If you're not impressed, you can return them for a full refund. Anyone who sleeps on Bolin Branch sheets loves them. And even people like me who stay awake on Bolin Branch sheets think they're great. Go to BolinBranch.com today and you will get $50 off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use the promo code 
Clavin. That's $50 off plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com. It's spelled B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Clavin, bowlandbranch.com, promo code Clavin. And you say, yes, now I can spell bowl, but how do you spell Clavin? You should check our sponsors. You'll love what you'll be saving. But you must remember there are no easy Clavin. There's jobs and flowers, crates and wine, and all the folks are raving. But you have to spell it right. There are no easy Clavin. There's stamps and sheets and mattresses. There's magazines and shaving. But if you want the discount, Thing is an earworm. It's really appalling. All right. So they they brought the press, and that's their big weapon. The big weapon is the press, which creates the, the the illusion that things are terrible. Oh my God, our society is falling apart. Civil society is collapsing. You think you look I mean, look around you. Is it? Is it in your town? Is it collapsing? No. It's just in the on the coast where the news is working its will and everywhere where people believe fall for the crisis in the press. There's no crisis in the, there's not even a crisis at the border. There's confusion, there's chaos, there's too long that the legislature has left this going. But right this minute, it just needs to be fixed. That's all, that's all that's happening. But because Trump won't stand down, the people are becoming mobsters. And when I say mobsters, I mean people who join together in a mob and terrorize people and uh, encourage each other to do wrong. Sarah Sanders walks into the Red Hen restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, and they all got together and took a vote and told her she had to leave. Now, you'll notice, by the way, that Sarah Sanders was ready to pay for her meal, unlike the trespassers who were at Starbucks. She didn't defy the police when they asked her to leave. It didn't happen. The police didn't have to come. Like the trespassers at Starbucks defied the police. But somehow, when the trespassers at Starbucks were ejected, that was a racial incident. This is not an incident of bigotry. When the guy at the Masterpiece Cake Shop said, you know what, I cannot put my lend my artistry to a gay wedding, that was a travesty. But throwing a woman out because she has she works for the administration, she's a public servant, that's fine. And the, it's all this bullying of women. I mean, the, home, the uh, Homeland Security Secretary, Kirsten Nielsen, was forced out of the Mexican restaurant, right? We saw that. This is another one. Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi went to see the documentary about Mr. Rogers that's come out. Mr. Rogers, who was the, what would you call him, the ambassador of civility, right? He was a guy who would talk about bullying, who'd talk about treating people properly. While she's standing online, listen to her description of what happened to her. And a woman approaches me in the ticket line and, and starts screaming that I was personally ripping babies out of the arms of mothers. And they were videoing me. And I said, I'm glad you're videoing this because I've never agreed with separating the mothers and the babies. And I said, Congress has to act on this matter. And they said, no, it's you. These babies are being kept. And then because I was talking normally to them, they didn't know what to do. So then three huge guys came up and started probably an inch from my face, screaming at me every word in the book, cursing as loud as they could. Uh, so then a trooper, my trooper came up and my boyfriend and I got our tickets, were headed in, and then they ran in and circled me where I could not get into the theater. They stopped me. 
Um, so he came up then and stopped them. So then we went in the theater, thought it was diffused. We're up getting popcorn at the concession stand. And they came up again, just every curse word in the book. And they said to him, hey, Blue Eyes, come on. Aren't you going to protect her? Using oh, a lot of, ex you know, a lot mm -hmm. of other words, mm -hmm. too. So they're start trying to start a fight with her boyfriend. They're terrorizing this woman, a mob is terrorizing this public servant, this lady. They're surrounding her. They're spitting on her. They're cursing at her, okay? And they think they're the good guys. That's the amazing thing. That is the magic of leftism. The black magic of leftism is that it allows you to think you're the good guys while you're wearing a ski mask and hitting somebody on the head with a stick because he wants to make a speech. The, mag the black magic of leftism is that it allows you to think that you're a good person while you're terrifying and terrorizing a young woman. Luckily, I mean, there are these lunatics out there trying to incite this kind of violence, but luckily none of them is like an elected official. Oh, wait, you know, Maxine Waters, I, this, is, uh, this woman, this woman really needs to be <laughs> taken out of Congress, possibly in a straitjacket. Here is she, she's giving a speech to people and listen to them cheering for what she says. She is encouraging this kind of mob violence and terror. And by the way, left-wingers. Remember, when you start to play by these rules, the other side starts playing by them too, and it's not going to be pretty. But listen, to, this is Maxine Waters. This is an unbelievably irresponsible moment by someone elected to Congress. Already, you have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who sang no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. And guess what? We're going to win this battle because while you try and quote the Bible, Jeff Sessions and others, you really don't know the Bible. God is on our side. On the side of the children. On the side of what's right. On the side of what's honorable. On the side of understanding that if we can't protect the children, we can't protect anybody. And so, let's stay the course. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Yeah, that's that's what Jesus preached, right? If you see someone who disagrees, if thou seest someone who disagrees, that's the honorable thing that Jesus preached. If thou seest someone with whom you have a political disagreement, uh, terrorize them and surround them in a mob. And it is, I swear, the black magic of leftism that these people think they're the good guys. They are cheering this. They're sitting there cheering this lunatic who shouldn't be in Congress anyway, should really be in a padded cell. And, and they're cheering, and they think they're the good guys. It is a wonder. I mean, you know, Peter Fonda did this thing, all this stuff in Hollywood where he had that tweet where he said, we should rip Baron Trump from his mother's arms and put him in a cage with pedophiles and see if mother will stand up against the giant a-hole she is married to. He, he apologized to that after, like, I, I assume he sobered up. He apologized for that. But still, I mean, when those words come out of your mouth, how do you still think, you know, you know, I always say anger is the devil's cocaine. And what I mean by that is it makes you think you're being righteous because you feel this righteous anger. This is what's happening to them. And and here's the, the key thing. Because Trump has a an expertise, he has a power to make them expose themselves for who they are. They are slowly, slowly coming around to show that it's not Trump they hate. 
It's you. When Hillary Clinton came out and talked about the deplorables, and that really did help to, for her to lose the election, when she attacked the voters, she was speaking for the media. She was speaking for Hollywood. She really was. I mean, t- take a look at this. Here's Rob Reiner, Mr. Hollywood, right? Big, powerful Hollywood director and his wife. They're talking to Joy Reid. Listen, listen who he's blaming here. It's not Trump they hate. It's you. Let's cut to the chase. This is about racism. This is pure and simple racism. That's all this is. He's hoping that the people who support him will be ginned up and, 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 and running to the polls to make sure that brown people don't come into America. That's exactly what's going on here. The political people in his, on his team believe that the base of the Republican Party will be more moved by this, by separating brown children and parents, than they will, for instance, by his tax cut. Because that's not what they're selling. They're telling him, no, this is the issue that makes you look strong. Because I hate to repeat what he just said, but this is based on racism, period, as they like to say. That's all this is. They, they don't want more brown people coming into this country and taking their jobs. Immigration is lower than it's ever been. There's no crisis at the border. And it's just an inhumane, unconscionable act that they did by separating children. And I have to tell you, my mother was in Auschwitz. She got separated from her entire family, lost her entire family. I never thought I would live to see something like that, particularly in this country, ever again in my lifetime. It's amazing. I can't think of any other reason you might want to enforce the laws at your border. I can't. It's just about brown, because we don't have any brown people in America. You know, we want to keep this as a lily white country. And, you know, what the hell is she talking about? what, What country is she in? What imaginary land is she in? But it's you and Joe Scarborough and Donnie, I don't even know. Donnie Deutsch is like an ad executive. What the, why is he a commentator? Do I, did I miss something where he became an expert in something? Anyway, Joe's, listen to this conversation on Morning Joe. And I know it's MSNBC. I don't like to pick on them because they're an openly left-wing station. But I just want to show that it's not Trump they're hating on. It is you. It is us. It is the deplorables. Listen to this. We can no longer say Trump's the bad guy. If you vote for Trump, you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. If you vote for Trump... You us. are ripping children from parents' arms. You, the mistake that we've made in the past is look at that bad guy over there. Look at that bad guy. What the Democrats have to do is make the next election a referendum. I'm not who Trump is, but who you are. And we all that that's the big difference. You can no longer now as a voter, because it's now not about taxes. It's, it's not even about some abstract term of immigration or or nationalism. If you vote for Trump, then you the voter, you, not Donald Trump, are standing at the border like Nazis going, you here, you here. And I think we now have to flip it. And it's a given the evilness of Donald Trump. But if you vote, you can no longer separate yourself. You can't say, well, he's okay, but. And I think that gymnastics and I think that jujitsu has to happen. He's been openly racist, just like we said back in December of 2015, openly racist. And if you support him, then... Uh, you're supporting that and you are that. It's that simple. So you see the logic of this, right? The logic of this is this. It's because because there can be no other reason to enforce the law except racism. There can be no other reason to want your borders to be secure except racism. It is perfectly uh, reasonable to surround women in movie theaters and, and gas stations, as Maxine Waters says, in restaurants and bully them out of those places if they're in the cabinet. But But it's not just them, right? Because if you voted for them, then you're 
complicit. So now it's all right to do this stuff to you as well. You can see where this is going. Somebody's going to get hurt, and then it's going to be, oh, I don't know why. It's really Trump's fault. He, he inspired. It's really his fault. It's going to be their fault. They are, are working this up to a moment of violence, and it's not going to be pretty because, believe me, some of us are perfectly willing and able to fight back. And once they start that fight, they are not going to like it. And I'm not going to like it either. I do not want to see this country at that kind of odds. The fact is, things are going well. Trump is doing a good job. I've said all my complaints about Trump. I'm not going to go through them again, but Trump is doing a good job. He's exhibiting leadership. He is breaking things up a little bit. He's changing things. I'm still, you know, I'm still on the uh, on the fence about what he's doing with trade because I'm, I want to see where it goes. I want to see how much of it is negotiation. But the but this country is doing better than it has done in a long, long time. And these guys are angry because their policy, because they went through eight years of failure with uh, their their king, their god, their uh, messiah, and it didn't work. They lied to us. They let him corrupt the government. And now this new guy's coming in and he's doing all this stuff they hate and it's working. And so no wonder they're screaming and yelling, but calling for violence against people and attacking the voters instead of uh, the, the official that you dislike, it really is disgusting. And I just have to add this one thing, and then we're going to get to Michael uh, Knowles about uh, this Harvard stuff. This Time magazine cover so classic, so typical. It's all about the narrative. They put up this magazine, little kid crying, Donald Trump looking down uh, at, at her, and it says, welcome to America. And it's a big red splash cover. Turns out the little girl was from Honduras. Her mother abandoned her family, carried her illegally across the border. She wasn't separated. The whole story, the whole story was fake. The whole story was fake. And they have Time Magazine's editor-in-chief, Edward Felsenthal, he defends it. He says, yeah, well, you know, you know, it's the old story. The, the uh, facts were wrong, but the narrative was right. I mean, like I said, I'm a novelist. For me, I can have the facts wrong and the narrative right. If you're a journalist, the facts are the narrative. The facts determine the narrative. It's not the other way around. Listen to this guy tie himself in knots of dishonesty, defending what was in just a, an entire lie, a visual lie that his magazine, Time Magazine, told we chose the photo because this little girl became the face of this story on front pages and home pages and TV screens. But and maybe Facebook she feeds. shouldn't have been the face of this story if she wasn't separated from her mom. Well, you know, as John just said and has said all along, none of us in the media who used the photo knew what had happened to the girl after this precise moment. And I actually think part of the power of the image is that unknown. This was a girl face, who's coming to America, has just completed one terrifying journey, and whatever its contours, whatever happens to her, faces another very frightening journey as well. But by Monday of this week, we knew that she hadn't been separated from her mom. In fact, on Tuesday, you all issued a correction uh, to a web story about that. We, that's, I, don't, that's, I don't believe the case. We, we did make an error, which obviously I regret and, and hate it as make hate making errors anytime, sure. but we made an error on a web story early in the week, not part of the cover package, um, in which we uh, said that the mother had been separated, and we quickly and transparently corrected that. We didn't know, nobody using this photo knew on Monday or Tuesday that they had not been separated. Well, we, we knew according to the government they had not been separated. We just knew there was a crying child, and anywhere a child cries, Donald Trump gets the blame. I mean, that's basically it is. The logic, the logic it burns, the logic here is so amazing because 
If the narrative sets the story, then the facts can't penetrate these guys. Even even after the facts, even after they find out, oh, we got the story wrong. No apology, nothing, nothing. It's like we know what the narrative is. But we don't need. I don't need no stinking facts. We don't need no stinking facts. We put up cover to tax Trump. That's like you know that's what these guys are doing, and they they cannot see it themselves. It is really wonderful. It is the black magic of leftism that they can think they're the good guys while lying to their audience. It is just an amazing thing. All right. Speaking of black magic, we have Michael Knowles coming up in just a moment. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to thedailywire.com. You can listen to the rest. You can listen to the rest on YouTube if you like, but while you're at thedailywire.com, you can do something else, which is subscribe. You cheap son of a gun. Subscribe. Give us your lousy 10 bucks a month. And what will we do for you? Eh, no, we'll let you. We'll let you. We'll take that 10 bucks. We'll go to Vegas. We'll turn it into tons of money. But also, we will let you watch the entire thing streaming right off the website. You can ask questions on the mailbag and get your problems solved. You can ask questions. Um, on July 2nd, when we do our backstage and have Jordan Peterson, you can ask him questions and he'll solve it. He knows everything, right? I mean, it's not, not like us. We know a few things, but he knows everything. So he can solve all your problems. All right. We got Michael Knowles coming on up. Knowles. Hey, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> uh, pretty good. Good uh, to be back. Uh, yeah, I was away for the weekend. I didn't see you. What you been up to? So I went. I usually you make me see bad movies, <laughs> but you didn't make me see this bad oh, movie. You I, I in saw on it anyway. Own. Yeah, I saw Incredibles two. Oh, did you, you see it? I, no, I saw the first one. The first one was one of the a great animated picture. This one, I mean, I'm I'm probably going to put a good ten minutes into this on the show today because there's okay. so much to delve into. Yeah, but, uh, but yes, remind fr- people. You got to remind people what Incredibles was because it was really a conservative movie. It's a fabulous yeah. movie. And by the way, I had never seen the first one. Okay. So sweet little Elisa, now Saint little Elisa because she's married to me. Uh, she wanted to go see the sequel, so uh, she said you should watch the first one. I said okay. The first one is this movie about these superheroes, and uh, but then they're outlawed, you know. So the family has to kind of go into hiding. Because they're and too special, right? They're too, they're too much better they're than too everybody else. They're too extraordinary. They're too excellent. Right. And what the movie is really about is a midlife crisis and a middle-aged guy settling into suburbia and, and dealing with his family in this new stage of life. And it's a terrific movie. It's a real movie about something. And this movie ruins all of that. Huh. It manages, really? it really does. It undercuts so much of the first movie. So some people are, or I wrote a review of it and some people are getting angry. They say, oh, I liked the sequel. And I said, the sequel is fine compared to everything else that's coming out of Hollywood right now. <laughs> yeah. Compared to that first one, it's really uh, a, a huge decay. It's a, it's what, a real what, what do they uh, degradation. Do wrong? What's, what's wrong with it? It's all, it's just feminism. I should have, as I've feminism learned, ruins if I've learned yeah. anything from yeah. the Andrew Clavin show, it's that feminism ruins <laughs> it everything. It ruins everything. It is like this toxic gas. Just people, you don't know why, suddenly the guy next to you falls over and it is, you can't see it. It's just it's permeates like, Oh no, air. put the masks on. The feminism's coming. No, that's it. I mean, and this, yeah. unfortunately, the Incredibles, it, 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 would, it would be one thing if this were just a standalone movie. But that first Incredibles did so much to fight against yeah. that poisonous narrative. And then this one just, uh, is just, ah, uh, never mind. All right. Well, listen, let, let us talk. This story out of Harvard, I, I mean, every, everything, you know, is everything uh, black is white, everything up is down, everything right is wrong. 
Talk about what's happening in Harvard. They're basically establishing racial quotas again, right? They have, yeah, everything is black is white. That's (laughs) a good way to intro it. (laughs) It, That's exactly what this is. This is all about racial quotas. And there's a group called uh, Students for Fair Admissions, which is finally bringing suit against Harvard for its obvious racial quotas. So there's a famous case in 1978, Regents of University of California versus Bach, Bakke. Uh, B-A-K-K-E. I remember this. This is when I started. This is the first thing that made me start to turn from liberal to conservative. Yes. And the the case basically said there is a benefit in admissions for racial diversity. So you can deal with that, but you can't have racial quotas to which any reasonable person would say, uh, what? (laughs) What, Excuse me? (laughs) So you can consider race, but you can't consider race, right? That's basically what they're saying. And look, we've all known this. I was in college not that long ago. And by the way, it is such a pleasure to see Harvard getting dragged through the mud these (laughs) days. Instead of Yale, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, The last five years is just has been Yale has been one crazy thing after another. Uh, we all knew this happened. Everybody knows it, especially at these top schools. There are racial quotas. They do harm Asians. It, it, after, that's that's what it's about, right? It's about yes. so there won't be that many Asians because Asians work hard and they study hard. And yeah, because yeah. Asians are too successful academically. So, so, so the we idea have to is to keep them. keep down the keep down the Asian, the yellow peril, basically. The, they're, yeah, that's they're right. Fight, We're in yeah, the yellow okay. peril, and this yeah. I won't even call it an open secret. It does a disservice to secrets. This is just <laughs> utterly known, right? Yeah. And so just to here are some numbers to put this into perspective. Okay. If uh, only academic achievement were considered, this is according to a study, by the way, they've got this great key witness, uh, Peter Archidiakono, an economist from Duke University. He's the plaintiff's key witness. He did this huge study. If only academic achievement were considered in Harvard admissions, the Asian American portion of the student body would jump from 19% where it is to 43%. Mm. 40, that is amazing. Wow, more that than is doubles. amazing. That is amazing. Well, good for them. So they're working hard. So yeah. they're working very hard. Now, yeah. even if you allow, because look, universities want athletes and they want legacies. Okay, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. enough. I give it to them. Yeah. Even then, the a- Asian population would be 31%. Okay. Now, if you account for extracurriculars and certain personal leadership or whatever, this is where it starts to get murky. But And, and also... Also, it it really cuts, this argument is deeply undermined by the other findings. But let's just say hypothetically that Asian students didn't do all these extracurriculars. They weren't student leaders, blah, blah, whatever. The the percentage would still be 26%. Yet the real percentage is 18 to 19%. (laughs) So we're missing some Asians here. We're missing a lot of Asians. (laughs) What is going on? Well, what's going on is that there's another demographic or another category that's been found called demographic. (laughs) And we don't really know what this category is. Harvard is releasing documents. They had an own, their own internal investigation, which showed that they were biased against Asians. And then, so they're releasing documents, highly redacted. So now the plaintiffs point to those documents and say, see, there's discrimination. And Harvard says, well, you're using redacted evidence. <laughs> say, well, you're, you're the one who redacted it. Hey, hey, you don't get into Harvard for nothing. You, know? you got to <laughs> yeah, be smart. Right. So, so wait, I, I read that they're going, they're basically claiming that Asians don't have nice personalities. Yes, mm-hmm. that's the way they're, that's the way they're hitting them. So this this category, this kind of murky category, demographic, uh, all we know about it is it bumps up the number of Hispanics and black applicants who get in, and it's a penalty for being Asian. Uh, 
the way they're hitting them is because they can't hit them on the test scores. Right. Asians do the best on the test scores on SAT, on number of APs passed, on GPA. They, by the way, they even have more extracurriculars than the average uh, applicant who's getting in. So even that argument goes away. They're they're ranking them on likability, helpfulness, courage, kindness. No, positive no, pers- you, wait, wait a minute. I kid you not. You, you're you're joking. You're the, making this up. This is from the Harvard uh, evaluation. Give me, give me those again. Slow that down a little bit. <laughs> give me so, this is what they're they're. Ranking Asian students, or all students, I guess. Yes. On, on what qualities? On the personal score. This okay. includes, pay attention because yeah, it's ridiculous. Likeability. Yeah, <laughs> Likeability, okay. Helpfulness. Yeah. Courage. Yeah. Kindness. Positive personality, you know, instead of a negative personality. <laughs> yeah. uh, people like to be around them, and the person is widely respected. So, and I got to tell you, Drew, uh, yeah. I have never liked to be around those those yeah, miserable, cruel Asian students. So Harvard, Harvard's uh, p- position now is that nobody likes to be around Asians. That's right. And Asians are not courageous and they're not, not helpful. helpful. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> no way. Nobody that's respects Harvard, them. That's Harvard's position. Is there a class on like how to recognize an Asian so you don't get stay away from them? I mean, yeah. what, what? you know, there uh, there are these things called implicit biases <laughs> that Harvard people yeah. rant yeah. about. I think this is an explicit bias. Oh, and you know, by Lord. the way, yeah. the, the crazy thing here is if you look at the alumni interviewers, when you apply to these uh, schools, you interview with an alumnus. And uh, when the Alumni interviewers rate the Asian students. They put them basically on par with white students. There's not really much of a difference on personality or whatever. Okay. The admissions officers at Harvard basically never meet the Asians that they're giving way lower personality scores to. Whoa. So there is obviously an unwritten policy in place. An Asian American male student who has a 25% chance of admission to Harvard would have a 32% chance if white a 77% chance if Hispanic, and a 95% chance if black, according to this study. This is just a way to uh, to knock the Asians, to really hit them. This study, by the way, is, is a, a review of 160,000 student files. It's not like things are being carried. Yeah. So they, they did this to the Jews, right? I mean, isn't this exactly what the, the Ivy Leagues used to do to Jews? This is exactly what the Ivy Leagues used to do to Jews in the 1930s, because uh, they said the Jews are too smart. They're too smart. They're too smart. They're yeah. too hard work. We can't, we, what, do you want your whole university to be uh, Jewish? And what's funny is back then, you know, these universities, especially I'll say Yale, were like just grooming schools for waspy young men. Right, right. Yeah. So that's right. That's why you went. You went that's to why you yeah. went. Yeah. But it isn't that, I mean, these universities now are supposed to be the meritocracy, right? If you get in, these, these schools have like 4% admission rates. They're yeah. pretty low. If you get in, you're supposed to be the, uh, the uh, you know, the best of the best, the creme de la creme. And they're hurting these Asian students. And by the way, in New York, our old town, uh, the mayor, Bill de Blasio, comrade de Blasio, <laughs> yeah. is trying to ruin all of the top feeder schools into these universities. Uh, how, how, what's so, he doing? In New York, unless you play the game of the private schools, which begins, I think, in the third trimester. Oh, that's believe when you have me, to believe apply. me. I, I was there. I did it. I played that game. You I remember mean, yeah, this. Yeah. They, uh, if, if you're a, a poor person or an immigrant or something, and by the way, Asian, there, there are more poor Asians in New York than any demographic, uh, racial demographic. Uh, you have to apply to get into one of the, the five top high schools. Okay. Stuyvesant, Bronx Science. Right, right. A handful of others. Yeah. If you go, get into those schools, you have a chance of going to an elite university. Otherwise, you're not going to. Right. And 
Stuyvesant is mostly Asian. I think it's 70% plus Asian. Why? Because the parents scrimp and save and the kids work hard and they spend their summers doing test prep and they get into those schools. Uh, Bill de Blasio says, that's not fair, too many Asians. The, the same exact policy that we're seeing at Harvard, and it's just pure racial discrimination. It's pure racial discrimination, and it destroys these schools. I mean, they destroyed City College used to be a launch pad for, for poor Jews who got that's out, right. worked their way into college, and they got out, and they just said, oh, no, too many Jews, basically, and they destroyed the university. You know, these guys, I, I've been talking today about the black magic of leftism, which is, allows you to become the scum of the earth while thinking you're the good guy. Yeah. You know, you, you can surround a, a woman with a mob, scream, curse at her, spit on her and think like, ah, I'm a, I'm a great person. I mean, it's a wonder, <laughs> it is a wonderful, I, I want some of that medicine, man. I want to be able to like just go out and bully women and think, yes, but I'm a leftist, so I'm nice. You know, this is a perfect example of this. This is racism. It is racism. I kid you not, there was a Korean student who was criticizing these anti-Asian discrimination policies yeah. at MIT and the dean of admissions there referred to this kid, uh, Daniel Golden, as yet another textureless math grind. Oh, you got to be kidding <laughs> me. Yes. I mean, that's, that is the sort, but they're the good people. Yeah. <laughs> they're the good people though. That's, that's the thing. What, what else are you talking about on your show? This is an amazing story. What else are you talking about on your show? Today, today we're going to be talking about how you can act like a man to follow the advice of uh, Don Corleone and Donald Trump, Don, Don, Don Trump to uh, uh, Jimmy <laughs> Fallon recently. All of the, we're going to, we're going to analyze some of the, uh, uh, masculinity that's going on in our foreign policy, in our domestic policy, in our culture, and we're going to have to get to the Incredibles because it's just a little animated kids movie, but there is so much there that shows the decline of culture. Um, unbelievable. Great, great stuff. Thanks a lot, Knowles. Good to All see right, you. Cedar. Our crappy culture. So here's something that I feel actually has a level of profundity to it. Uh, the Little House on the Prairie, the author's uh, name, Laura Ingalls Wilder, I'm sure some of you may know her from old reruns of the uh, Little House on the Prairie TV show, but she wrote a series of books that were uh, a memoir of the way west. Her father uh, was kind of a, he was kind of a ne'er-do-well, really. He took them all out west, and they lived in a, at one point, they lived in a little dugout house, and then they had the little house on the prairie, and this, I, I don't know how many there are, eight or ten books that are apparently, I, well, actually, I read one of them. I read the first one of them, and it was very well-written, incredibly descriptive, and her name has been on a prestigious children's book award, the Wilder Award for children's book, she has, that name has now been removed by the American Library Association because in these books, they're written, they were published back in the 30s, I think. She talks about the Indians. She talks about uh, blacks with, with what today would be considered insensitivity. She's writing in her time. She did, in fact, herself uh, rescind some of it. At one point, she said something like, there were no people there, there were only Indians. And she said that, she herself said, no, that was, that was the wrong way to put that. I, there were no settlers there, only Indians. She changed it. And so there, the American Library Association uh, says that Wilder's work includes expressions of stereotypical attitudes inconsistent with the organization's core values of inclusiveness, integrity, and respect and responsiveness. And they said the author's legacy is complex and not universally embraced. And God forbid, as an author, you should not be universally embraced. I mean, I, that, you know, if you are an author, if you are telling anything like the truth, if you have any kind of vision at all, you're not going to be universally embraced. But let's for a minute just accept the idea that attitudes were different then. The life, you know, 
there's a, there's one scene in one of the little House in the Prairies books where these women are sitting there by themselves and these naked Indians come in and it's terrifying. They were terrified and people did get killed out there. And, you know, so they were scared. But let's just say that the attitudes change. We understand that. But this is part of our history. And part of what leftism does is it disconnects us from our past. And our past is, you know, the past, we're in it, we're on a continuum. We're not here. We didn't just drop out of here with all our ideas. We got our ideas from the past. They came, they worked, they evolved. I hope they got better. I hope they got purified. But you don't cut your uh, supply line off from those ideas by ditching everybody who doesn't live in your moment. It's this prejudice against the past. It's a form of bigotry. We are only holding this position here for the future. We're part of this continuum. That is the way culture works. That is the way advancement works. We, you know, listen, I've said this before. I will say it again. There are people today who have their names in airports and statues. And one day, when the science is clearer and everybody can see what abortion is, those statues are going to be torn down. There are going to be people out there going, Nancy Pelosi, are you kidding me? You named a road after this woman who supported abortion? Are you joking? Same people who are tearing down statues of Robert E. Lee. We respect the past because we are the products of the past. And everything that happened there, good and bad, created us as we are. And we hope that we learn from the bad things and we hope that we added on to the good things. But Laura Ingalls Wilder, Wilder was a wonderful writer who supplied an incredibly in-depth and vivid vision of what it was like to settle the West. And you don't take her name off anything. You don't take her name off anything. You respect her. You can say, you know, you can talk about the fact that her time was different, that the attitudes changed. But that's part of how you learn is by looking back at the past and seeing how you've changed, not by telling the past to be silent. Just an incredibly embarrassing, stupid, bigoted thing for librarians to do. There are way, way too many left-wing librarians who really need to get a little bit of diversity. Have you ever heard of diversity? They get a little bit of diversity around, around those librarians. All right, that's the end of our show. We're done. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Clavin Show tomorrow. Who we got tomorrow? Sebastian Gorka. Oh, Gorka's back. He's going to have, he should be on fire, that guy. That should be really entertaining. Be there then. We'll see you then. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.